Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessings of this day and of this time. Now we pray, Lord, speak to us from your word. Help us. We live in a world that uh, is filled with temptations. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we've had a number of very special and fun Sabbaths here recently. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Baptism Day, and, uh, and, and uh, I spent time that day talking to you from Matthew chapter 3 about the baptism of Jesus and, and how at your baptism, uh, like with Jesus, heaven is opened and the voice of God says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit comes into your life in a special way. But the thing about that, the thing about baptism is, yes, in one sense, it's the end of one part of your life, but it's only the beginning of the next. It's chapter one of a, of a whole new story, the beginning of a thing called the Christian life. And the Christian life, if you've lived it long enough, you know this, is a life filled with many joys, but it's also filled with some sorrows. And it's also filled with some trials. And if your life is anything like mine, it's filled with lots of temptations. Now, it's not so much that these temptations that come into our life play the role of making us either saved or unsaved. Though, if over time you decide that you desire the route of the temptation more than the direction Jesus is leading you, then yes, you can make a shipwreck of your faith, and by doing so, you will likely hurt a lot of other people along the way. And this reality with temptations, giving in to temptation is always expensive, whether you get caught in it or not. It's not always salvation that's on the line. Let's not, let's not get caught in that mind frame here. But whenever temptation comes along, there's almost always something important on the line in varying degrees. I'll give you an example here. I like to eat ice cream in the evening. It's a very pleasant experience. It's very nice to do. You sit down, you have what I originally intended to be a small bowl, but never quite turns out that way. But there's a thing I've noticed that happens when I do that consistently. I do this thing called gain weight. Maybe you know about this. And it happens even especially more now that I'm older. And so that's not to say I can never have ice cream in the evening. But here's the thing. If I always do it, I'm not as healthy. And therefore I don't enjoy my life as much as I would if I was healthy. And so I have to make decisions about that temptation whenever it comes up. There, there's other temptations that come into our lives. Sometimes the temptation takes the form of establishing or maintaining an unhealthy relationship. Falling into this kind of temptation can destroy things that you've spent years building. Things like family, things like career, things like reputation, 
Okay, well, no, I'm not, let's not get the wrong idea when I say reputation. I'm not saying you should live your life in constant anxiety about what others think about you, but I am saying that you ought to live your life in a way that if others actually knew the truth about you, it wouldn't be something you were ashamed of. I'll give you an example of that. Um, I, I'm far from perfect, but I try to live my life in a way that what you see in my life does not make a mockery of what I say from here. Uh, another example of that. Uh, Jared leads us in our music. Now, Jared would be a great worship leader regardless, but it's so much better that he's the poster boy for good behavior than if we had, yeah, yeah, but you ought to see how mean he is to his family. He's not. He's great. They love him. And it makes everything he does here more effective. See, that's, that's the reality of the role that, that reputation can play in being a blessing in the community. So facing temptations, that's what I want to talk about today. Facing temptations. And I want to draw five points from the story of Jesus that I believe can help us whenever we face temptations on our own. And I'm going to tell you those five points in advance so you can be reflecting on them as we go along. And I, I have a slide of these as well. So if you can put that up that has the, the, five, uh, temp, the, the five statements on there. You got that? Okay, yeah, here we go. Number one, know who you are. Number two, know your commitments. Number three, understand your limitations. Number four, don't let yourself be goaded. You know what goaded means, right? Somebody else says something to you and you're like, pride kicks in and you're like, well, you can't talk to me that way and you go and do something stupid. Yeah. Number five, stay true to your purpose. All right, we're gonna reflect on those as we go along here. I believe Jesus kept these things in mind, maybe not specifically that list, but these things in mind when he faced temptations. And these things helped him overcome, and I believe they can help us as well. But let's get to the story. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along uh, in the Bible in front of you there. I'm using the same translation you have there. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So why am I putting this, and why did I reference back to Matthew 3 and the baptism? Well, this event takes place immediately after Jesus is baptized. He's baptized, he, heaven is opened, the Holy Spirit descends, he hears the voice that says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased, and immediately he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this is actually a very interesting temptation to consider. Because it is a carefully crafted temptation, which you will find happens in your life. The devil is good at crafting a specific temptation just for you. Uh, it, is, it is specifically crafted and designed to attack Jesus at the core level of his identity and purpose. 
and play on the dynamic of his self-imposed limitations. Because you see, Jesus has set limits on himself. Now that would be a pretty useless temptation for the devil to throw at me. Because I can't turn stones to bread. I have turned bread to stone in a number of ways. Leaving it out, cooking it too long, things like that. But I can't turn stone to bread. So that's not a temptation for me. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Because there are things that can be very strong temptations to one person. And another person's like completely immune to it. And we got to remember that because sometimes we put a stumbling block in front of each other over things that are not a problem for us but could be for someone else. So let's not get caught in the singularity mindset that this is a temptation and this is not. No, it's a personal experience for all of us. And we have to understand our limitations when it comes to this. So in this moment, the devil is bringing together a number of things all predicated on whether or not Jesus is willing to believe and trust the voice of God that he heard 40 days ago when God said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. So, so the devil strikes at this moment of weakness and challenges Jesus to prove who he is if you are the son of God. Because surely... God wouldn't want his son to suffer, especially if you can easily do something about it. We've got to be very careful on this point, don't we? Because the notion that God wouldn't want us to suffer, which on the face of it is absolutely true, can also lead to license for all kinds of selfishness and all kinds of selfish acts done in the name of, well, God wouldn't want me to suffer... And in fact, can easily become the basis upon which we fall for temptation. Remember, your foe is wily. He's clever. And he can twist things. It's important for us in times like this to remember Jesus' words in John chapter 16. <clears throat> he said to us, in this world, you will have tribulations. You will have troubles. You will have sufferings. This is not threatened. This is guaranteed. We have all had them. But Jesus also adds, take heart. I have overcome it all. And you will overcome it all as well if you will stay faithful. So this is the moment. Jesus is suffering. He can do an easy thing to make bread for himself. So what's at stake here? And how does this correlate with the five key points I mentioned? I, I will suggest this way. The devil is, as I mentioned before, attacking at the core level of Jesus' identity and purpose with the goal to get Jesus to violate his self-imposed limitations. What are the limitations? The limitations are the one that Jesus accepted in order to stay true to his purpose by becoming one of us. 
and then by being faithful as one of us to save us. And this explains then his answer to the devil, which is found in the next verse, Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered, this is Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a very interesting answer that Jesus gives because it takes things beyond the reality of the moment. The reality of the moment is suffering. Jesus is hungry. But by this answer, Jesus takes things beyond that and takes them back to the core question of faith. Will Jesus or will he not have confidence in the word that proceeded from the mouth of God? And what was the word that proceeded from the mouth of God? You are my son. What was the question that came from the devil? If you are the son. So it's, a, it's an attack at this core identity. In this moment, Jesus remembers his identity and he remembers his commitments and he's mindful of his self-imposed limitations and in the moment he chooses to remain true to his purpose. And for this reason, the temptation loses its power. When you remember your identity, when you remember your purpose, when you remember your limitations, temptations lose their power. So the devil tries again. Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Oh, I see much that is clever in this temptation. And in my own life, I've fallen for less. Once again, we see in this the identity challenge. Only this time, it's not so much in the context of Jesus proving his identity through an act that's for his own comfort, but rather this time, it's Jesus demonstrating who he is in a spectacular and miraculous way by dramatically diving from the high point on the temple in the sight of all the people. And then when God catches him and bears him up, oh, what a platform for speaking, right? Now you've got everybody's attention. And to really stick in the dagger on this, the devil, in no small part, a response, I believe, to how Jesus answered the first temptation with what Scripture says, the devil this time uses Scripture against Jesus. The words that he says here are literally from Psalm 91. And so he's taking the words that God has spoken and he's trying to use them against Jesus. There will always be people who will try to do this. And it can put us sometimes in some pretty difficult situations as we try to discern what exactly is God's will for us because if we've committed to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, 
I suppose it's probably a pretty good idea. We better know what those words are, right? We better know what God has said, and we better know what God is saying. And we better know them well enough that we can't get tricked by someone who would abuse God's word for their own advantage. It happens a lot. But the good news is Jesus absolutely does know what words have proceeded from the mouth of God because since his childhood, he has spent his time learning those words, reading those words, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is why it's so important. Because we are a blessed people. We have access to God's word. We can take it at any time and we can read it and put it into our hearts. And it can help us in the hour of temptation. So what does Jesus do this time? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written. He's like, yes, I know that's written. But you've got it out of context. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. There are always people who are eager to set God's agenda for you. But you cannot let them goad you off of the road that the Lord is leading you down. Jesus was not about to give the devil power over God's agenda. Don't give anyone or anything, power over God's agenda for your life. It is before the Lord that you stand or fall. Jesus was not about to do this. And even when the devil was goading him to prove the Father was with him, which in context, that makes Jesus' answer even all the more amazing. Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And if you read in full what it says there, it says this, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. And how did the people put the Lord to the test at Massah? Well, for that you have to go to Exodus chapter 17. And there you will find the story of Israel. This is before Exodus 20. This is before the giving of the law. You'll find them freshly delivered out of Egypt and freshly taken through the Red Sea and delivered from the Egyptian army and now in the wilderness, but they don't have water. They're in need. They're in the wilderness. That's where Jesus is. And in the context of this need, they cry out. And this is the story where the first time Moses strikes the rock and the water flows. And the passage ends with these words, Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because, the, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. Now, Massah means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. So he called the place testing because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So the testing question at Massah was, is the Lord among us or not? And the testing question to Jesus that day was, if you're the Son of God, is the Lord with you or not? Throw yourself down and prove it. 
So I say it again. Never let the devil set your agenda because he will use the words of God to trick you out of God's will. How can we avoid this? Well, you got to know who you are. You got to know your commitments. You got to understand your limitations. You can't let yourself be goaded. And you got to stay true to your purpose. This is what Jesus does. Jesus knew he was the son of God. He knew who he was. Jesus knew the road he was committed to. Jesus understood that he had limited himself to the Father's will. Jesus refused to be goaded into folly. And Jesus stayed true to the long road, his purpose, which brought him and brings us to the last of these temptations. Uh, I would call this temptation the shortcut. You know about the shortcut, right? Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, there is really so much here, and we really don't have any hope of unpacking it all at this point. But the thing is, it's not really about deception anymore. You know, maybe in those first two, Jesus could have been unclear with, with who's tempting and who's saying what and what's. It's not about that anymore. You know, the, the devil's like, okay, I know who you are. You know who I am. I know what you came to do. You're trying to get this whole thing back from me. Tell you what, the road you have picked out is hard. Let me make it easy for you. You just worship me one time, and I'll let you have it. You can have the whole thing. No more questions about who you are. No more asks for you to prove it. You want the world? Fine. Worship me, I give it to you. Now, maybe that could have been tempting. Because this meant... No frustrating disciples. How much energy did Jesus have to waste on that? No trouble from the priests and the Pharisees. No long days of traveling and long nights sleeping on the ground. No betrayals from the ones you love. No tears at the grave of your friend. And above all, no cross. You want it? You got it. Power, authority, wealth, comfort, all yours. But to have it, you got to do it my way. You ever been tempted to get what you want the wrong way? I'll bet if you have, and if you did it, in the end, you didn't really want it anymore. 
The story of Amnon and Tamar comes to my mind right now. You can look that up later if you want. And it's in moments like this that one must absolutely remember who they are and what they want most. You see, Jesus did not come to the earth to gain control through power. Oh, he came to gain control of this world gone mad. But he did not come to do it through power. He came to establish a kingdom based on love and willing obedience and faithfulness. And there was only one way he could do this. And it's summarized brilliantly in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the mindset of Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, he knew who he was, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He recognized his limitations. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He was faithful to his commitments. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He could not be goaded. You're the son of God and you're going to go around like a human? Come on. Could not be goaded by pride. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He was true to his purpose the whole way. You see, there was no shortcut. You could not achieve what Jesus came to achieve any way except the way he did it. Of all the temptations of Jesus, this one might have seemed the most tempting to us. You can work hard all your life. You can, you can invest in in home and family and job and all these things. Work hard all your life and maybe you'll have this outcome you dreamed of. Or you can have a shortcut. Nah, it'd be tempting. It'd be tempting. But the interesting thing about this temptation, while it might have been the hardest for us, it seems like this is the one that was the least tempting to Jesus. In fact, it seems downright offensive to him. For this is his reaction, Matthew 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And with that, Jesus overcame the temptations that would have short-circuited his mission even before it started. I remember, remember where we're at here. He just got baptized. Nobody even knows who he is. This whole thing would have short-circuited the whole story. But Jesus overcame it. But what about us? How should we feel about temptation? What can we do when temptation comes into our life? I want to go back to the five points that we've been reflecting on as we walk through this story. Number one, know who you are. Do you know who you are? Number two, know your commitments. What are you committed to? 
Number three, understand your limitations. What can you do? What can't you do? Number four, don't let yourself be goaded. I've seen people who would never do certain stupid things with just the tiniest little bit. They're like, oh, all right, yeah, I'll do it. Don't be that person. Don't violate your values and principles because somebody pushed you. Number five, stay true to your purpose. I believe these can help us all when we face temptations. And I want to invite the band to come back up because we're going to sing some songs here in just a second. But again, I want to reflect on those. Know who you are. You are a beloved and saved child of God. And some things are neither good for you nor are they good enough for you. So don't let those things drag you down. Don't lose your identity, beloved child of God. Know your commitments. What are your commitments? You saw commitment standing in front of you here today. You saw mom, dad, and three kids. That's called commitment. You are committed. Don't mess it up. Do it right. Work. You have commitments. Do a good job. Associations, involvements. You can put all of these things at risk if you chase after every whim of your heart and mind. You've got to understand your limitations. Maybe it's not a risk for you to turn stones into bread, but always remember, to have the life you want most, you will have to choose against many things you want now. Can you do that? Can you choose against what you want now for what you want most? Don't let yourself be goaded. Your pride will destroy you if you don't keep it in check. And stay true to your purpose. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. If you're going to stand up and lead songs, be what you're singing about. If you're going to stand up and talk about the words of Scripture, live by them. If you're going to claim the name Jesus, follow him. We haven't gotten it all right. We don't get it all right. Pretty sure Jared may have even messed up once or twice. But that is all the more why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and the grace that is ours through him. That is why all the more we have to remember our new identity in Jesus Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. Maybe you're doing great right now. I'm sure Ryan's killing it right now. Awesome, man. Maybe you're doing great right now. Maybe not. Either way, we all need to come to the altar today, and we're going to sing about that in a second, where God grants forgiveness and gives grace to enable us to try again, 
Try again. Try again. Get back up. Try again. Everything you haven't already lost, you haven't lost yet. Don't lose it. Hang on. Do well. You will never regret standing for what is right in the face of temptation. So look to Jesus. And may God grant you the victory.